Isn't that great how people can learn how to do things? <laughs> um, so we've been going this, this year, we've been talking about the Four Noble Truths, and the Four Noble Truths has extended really for a long time, for the whole year. We started the beginning of the year going through the four truths, the truth of suffering, the truth of the causes of suffering, truth of the end of suffering, and the truth of the path that leads to freedom or the end of suffering. And then, so as we went through the four truths over time, then we got into the Eightfold Path, and we've been talking about the different limbs of the path, and we're in the, we're in the mindfulness limb of the path, and, um, and something happened last week. We talked about, we, I gave a talk about Thanksgiving and the giving of thanks. And I realized there's a couple other things I would like to sneak in to this series. And I wanted to talk a little more about emotions because I think mindfulness and emotions are really important and important to us as householders and as important to us as people who are in relationship and important to us as human beings because human beings have emotions. Right? Everybody got that part about human beings? Right? Anybody not have emotions? And, and so, but thinking about it, I was thinking very specifically about something somebody asked me about in terms of emotion. And so I'll go, I'll talk, you'll hear, I'll, I'll give the talk and we'll get into it. And I'd like to start with the poem by Carl um, Sandburg. He said, there is, there is a wolf in me. There is a wolf in me, fangs pointed for tearing gashes, a red tongue for raw meat, and the hot lapping of blood. I keep the wolf because the wilderness gave it to me, and the wilderness will not let it go. There's a fox in me, a silver gray fox. I sniff and guess and I pick things out of the wind and air, and I nose in the dark, dark night, take sleepers and eat them and hide the feathers, and I circle a lube and double cross. There is a hog in me, there is a hog in me, a snout and a belly and machinery for eating and grunting and machinery for, and machinery for sleeping satisfied in the sun. I got this too from the wilderness, and the wilderness will not let it go. There's a fish in me, I know it came from the salt blue water gates. I scurried with shoals of herring, I blew water spouts with porpoises. Before land was, before the water went down, before Noah, before the first chapter of Genesis. There is a baboon in me. A baboon in me, clamoring, clawed, dog-faced, yappering a galoot's hunger, hairy under the armpits, here for the hawk-eyed, hankering men. Here, excuse me, here are the hawk-eyed, hankering men. Here are the blonde and blue-eyed women. Here they hide, curled asleep, waiting, ready to snarl and kill ready to sing and give milk, waiting. I keep the baboon, the baboon because the wilderness says so. There is an eagle in me. There is an eagle in me and a mockingbird, and the eagle flies among the rocky mountains of my dreams and fights among the Sierra crags of what I am. And the mockingbird, mockingbird warbles in the early forenoon before the dew is gone, warbles in the underbrush of my Chattanooga of hope, gushes over the blue Ozark foothills of my wishes. And I got the eagle and I got the mockingbird from the wilderness. Oh, I got a zoo in me. I got a menagerie inside my ribs, under my bony head, under, under my red valve heart. 
I got something else. It is a man-child heart, a woman-child heart. It is a father and mother and lover, and it came from God knows where. And it is going to God knows where. For I am the keeper of the zoo. I say yes and no. I sing and kill and work. I am a pal of the world. And I came from the wilderness. So I thought that we might talk about the wilderness that we practice with every day. That's part of our practice of heartfulness or bodyfulness or the mindfulness. That when we sit here or when we walk here or when we interact here or when we work here or we relate here or we do whatever we do, we play here, that there is something here in us and the wilderness gave it to us and we don't control it and we don't own it and we are it and part of the way the wilderness expresses itself in human beings is in the emotionality of human beings right they're they're not in our control Anybody ever notice that? Anybody ever notice how we have emotions even when we don't want them? <laughs> or we don't have emotions that we want? Right? That there's this aliveness here and it's wild. And it's part of the wildness of what's here, of what we are. Part of our animal nature, it's said. And I thought that this poem about the wildness, the wilderness is actually the name of the poem, um, uh, would be appropriate because I wanted to talk about one of the more animalistic kind of emotions we have. And now see where your mind goes when you, when you think about what's the most animalistic emotion you have. You know, I get curious about what you think that might be. <laughs> but I'll, I'll leave you alone for a while. You don't have to tell me. But I thought it would be interesting to talk about anger. And what does it mean to practice with anger? And anger is such an interesting idea, word, experience. Anybody here ever get angry? <laughs> Anybody here not ever get angry? Great. I was looking it up in the dictionary a little and looking up some of the words for anger or angry. It means we could be irate, we could be mad, we could be annoyed, we could be irritated, we could be indignant or furious or infuriated or raging, or outraged, or resentful, or annoyed, or wrathful. So it's a very rich part of our experience. And I think it's an interesting one to talk about and to begin to include, especially while we're working around mindfulness of the body because I think emotions are very important. It's a very important to be able to relate physically to our emotional experience, not just mentally or affectively, but physically. And, um, and I like anger because I'm a weird guy. And, and meaning I like anger partly because it has a paradoxical relationship in Buddhism. Many people, as they become Buddhists, think they're not supposed to get angry. Anybody ever notice that or hear that? Right? That's a very common understanding, is that, oh, anger is bad. And it's true, it's part of the Buddhist understanding, but it's not the totality of the Buddhist understanding. 
<coughs> and uh, there was a quote from the tricycle, I don't even know who said it, where they said, as practitioners we sometimes feel as if we must behave as diplomats for Buddhism, always acting gentle and not getting angry. Good luck. <laughs> Meaning, one of the things that I love about Dharma practice and Buddhism and Buddha is that Buddha pointed at reality as the doorway to waking up, not pretending, not faking, not being some way you think you're supposed to be, but actually start to being aware of exactly what's here, both the emotion of what's here and the mental uh, atmosphere that comes with that and the physical presence that's here, the energetic experience that is different with each emotion, whether it's sadness or happiness or anger or fear, there's a different physical experience happening. And even if you read some of the traditional Buddhist literature, the Dhammapada, when they talk about anger, they say, guard against anger erupting in the body. And then guard against anger erupting in speech. And guard against anger erupting in the mind. And I love that they use that word, erupting, because it's got the volcanic potency of what's alive here that we call anger. And that comes up for all human beings, very normal part of being a human being. And that often we don't know how to deal with it or work with it as part of practice in a way that's skillful and beneficial and self-liberating by how we practice with it. <coughs> and, you know, the question is, what happens when your anger erupts? It's interesting to look at you when I ask this question because there's different expressions on different faces, right? And some people are smiling broadly and some people have a, a smile they're trying to hold in and some people are like getting nervous about anger because we all have a different relationship with anger itself and then with our own anger and of course with other people's anger, right? Because anger is often misused and uh, wielded, or, yeah, wielded is a good word to use, in an unskillful way. And for many of us, that's actually happened. You know, even in childhood that happens, either sometimes from the parental figures, sometimes from authority figures, sometimes from other siblings or other children. Uh, you know, it's just when sometimes, of course, our own anger has come out unskillfully, right? I mean, anybody here never had their anger come out unskillfully? I would be happy to meet you because I don't know too many people like that. And so Buddhism gives mixed messages about anger, actually. The, tr the traditional message is anger's bad, be careful, or watch out for it, or what gets translated as get rid of it, stop it. <clears throat> but anger is not uh, only seen in that way, and I'll say a little more about other Buddhist views of anger, but it's an interesting experience for all of us. Anger, what, what is it? What happens for us? How is it? You know, in the different forms, I was looking at different quotes that I had about anger from um, Malachi McCourt, said, resentment is like taking poison. Resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. <laughs> right? Because you end up resentful for a long time and they don't even know about it, really. Or Al Franken, the comedian, he said, whining is anger through a small opening. 
because I'm sure nobody here has ever whined at all about anything. But I know how to complain in a lot of different ways, from very subtle to very gross. Right? Mm. Or uh, a woman named Penelope Gillette, Gillette, Gilead, Gilead. Penelope Gilead said, people in a temper, people in a temper often say a lot of silly, terrible things that they mean. <laughs> and it's true, a lot happens, and of course, and I'm being very light about it right now, but of course anger is the basis for all kinds of dissonance, all kinds of prejudice, all kinds of hatred, all kinds of uh, acting out uh, in the gross level in terms of war and, and violence, and in subtle levels in terms of you know verbal violence or verbal persecution or verbal uh, hurt, uh, because it's got a lot of potency in it itself, the anger itself, the aliveness of anger. <clears throat> of the aggressive energy coming through the emotions in that way. And the, the paradox for us is, okay, how do we start to really become aware of anger? Play, play with it, not play. Work with it and play with it. And by work with it, I mean start to really be aware of it, really pay attention, really start to learn about it and understand it and not be bound to it. And see what, how do we do that as part of practice, not just when we're sitting still and everything's fine, but when we're dealing with our life, our work, our relationships, our families, our communities, our culture, our politics, our world, right? Because shit happens all the time. And there'll be shit that happens to each of us, both personally, culturally, uh, communally, nationally, etc., all the time that we're going to have feelings about. <clears throat> and we're not trying to repress anger. And we're not trying to be bound to anger. We're trying to wake up with the reality of what it is to be a human being and what kind of experiences we each have that part of which is anger or emotions in general, whether it's happy or sad or fear or anger or whatever it might be. Actually, I found something today. Uh, Robert Polchik's Theory of Emotions he says there are eight basic emotions, including fear, anger, sadness, joy, disgust, trust, and anticipation, anticipation and surprise. And in Buddhism, we wouldn't put those all under emotion. That would be emotions and mental states. But they're all in the same range of, of awareness. And actually, the best part of this, I'm sorry, I don't, we don't have a light show for you yet, but he, he made a very nice diagram of all the emotions, which you can see barely if you have uh, binoculars. <laughs> and how they interrelate. So, so we're not interested in repressing them. We're not in interested in indulging our emotions. We're interested in waking up with the human experience. And part of this human experience is emotions, and part of it is anger. And so it's a very normal thing. And the reason why I like to stress the normalcy of it is so we're not self-judging ourselves when we're angry. Because it's, it's much harder to be aware of something we're judging. And we're judging negatively. And maybe even if we're judging it positively, I'm not sure. Let's, uh, let's wait. I'll say something about that in two years. But, but um, uh, I wanted to say from uh, 
uh, Utejaniya, he said, if there is anger and you decide to investigate this emotion, you are setting the mind in the right di direction. If there is anger and you decide to investigate it, you're setting the mind in the right direction. If, however, you decide to get rid of this anger, you are directing the mind in the wrong direction. And this is from Utejaniya. And I, I appreciate that very much because often there's a lot of encouragement to get rid of so-called negative emotions, feelings, experiences, rather than use the range of the power of awareness to both be aware of the experience and to investigate it and to start to understand it and start to wake up with the experience, not to just get rid of it or get past it. Pema <coughs> uh, Chodron says, people often say I fall asleep all the time in meditation. What should I do? You ever notice that? Anybody here ever fall asleep? I, I know you don't do that on Sunday nights ever, but... <laughs> And she said, so they say to her, I fall asleep all the time, what should I do? She said, there are a lot of antidotes to drowsiness, but my favorite is experience anger. <laughs> and why does she say that? Because you won't fall asleep when you're experiencing anger. It's one of the great benefits of it, except in the middle of the night when you would like to go to sleep. That's a little harder. <clears throat> so, in Buddhism, it's understood that the emotions have their place, they have a relativity, they're part of relative reality, totally normal, and they're also connected to ultimate reality. And the paradox of the two truths, these are the two truths I'm throwing in here, of relative and and ultimate reality is first of all it's it's always very good to hear that they're talked about as equally true equally true relative reality is true it's real it's for real we want to deal with it respectfully and carefully and clearly and ultimate reality is equally true and we want to discover it through relative reality that they are interlinked relative and ultimate reality. <clears throat> and so in Buddhism, one of the doorways is our direct experience. This is exactly what the Buddha did and taught. He went through his own direct experience and he sat with it until he kept revealing more of reality that he didn't know and he was unfamiliar with and he discovered and it surprised him and it awakened him and he even had reactions to it. It doesn't mean he liked everything that happened in his meditation, but he knew how to stay with it. He, he was passionately heartful as a practitioner. It's beautiful to read the Buddha and to see his heartfulness, how committed, how dedicated he was to freedom. Right? That was more important than what he thought, than what other people said, because they told him that the freedom that he intuited was not available to him. Nobody had ever had that. And, and the best spiritual master said, oh, you're really good. You don't need to do anymore. This is enough. And he kept feeling like, oh, something was missing. And he was dedicated and devoted to see what's available to us as human beings. And, and, and then, then he, he easily taught this truth because he saw it was available to each person here, this potential to wake up, to discover reality, to discover the depths. And my, my feeling is, oh, you all know that. You all have that intuition or you wouldn't even be here because you know there's something more available to us as human beings. And that's one of the beauties of the Dharma and of practice itself, is that we're engaging in the amazing uh, um, 
mystery of humanness and its potential. And in Buddhism, sometimes these kind of energies, like the angry energy, are talked about as deities. They're talked about as wrathful deities. Excuse me, I'm trying to find this. Oh, there it is. Um, they're talked about as wrathful deities. And they're in, in the Tibetan tradition, wrathful deities are enlightened beings who take on wrathful forms in order to lead beings, sentient beings, to freedom, to enlightenment, to wake up. And so we start to meet these, we start to, let me say it in a better way, we start to discover the wrathful deities that live inside of us and say, come here, check this out. Come see about this, this baboon that's in here, this hawk that's in here, this lion that's in here, this, you know, scorpion that's in here. And see what happens as you get more intimate, closer, more, more like this with that experience not just your idea about it, the judgment about it, the belief about it, and see what happens if you start to tune in to the wrathful energy of your own anger. And what happens if you land in that experience, not just indulging it or acting it out, but being investigative or curious about it and see what happens as consciousness lands into the direct experience itself. And then it has this potential for what's talked about as transmutation. And this is from Sharon Salzberg, my old friend Sharon said, anger transmutes to wisdom. Anger transmutes to wisdom. Transmutation occurs because anger can involve the same kind of cutting through, not taking things for granted, being willing to speak unwelcome or unpleasant truths as wisdom. Should I say that again? Transmute, I want to say it again. Let me be more direct. Transmutation occurs because anger can involve the same kind of cutting through, not taking things for granted, being willing to speak unwelcome or unpleasant truths as wisdom. Mindfulness is the key to that transmutation. <clears throat> and so, Buddhism's really positing a middle way between rejection or suppression and indulgence or expression. We're not just trying to act out our anger, but we're trying to see, oh, what is this aliveness that's here that's come in this angry form, pissed off form, furious form, irritated form, instead of just believing the story that comes with it, but start to get closer and more intimate with the energetic, somatic, kinesthetic experience that we call anger or pissed offness. <clears throat> and so take a moment, each of you please, and reflect. How do you experience anger? Like what's it like for you when you're angry? And is there permission for you to be angry when you're angry? And I don't mean acting it out, but permission to feel your anger fully, to come into contact with it. And when do you feel it? When do you experience, when is it okay? Is it okay sometimes and not other times to feel the energy of the irritation or anger or fury or rage or Irkness, such an interesting word, irk, irked. <laughs> I don't use it too often, I have to admit. And how do you relate to that experience of being angry? 
And do you judge it? Do you condemn it? Do you try to bypass it? Do you try to mindfulness your way past it rather than into it? And I'll just say a couple skillful means that are offered in the practice. One I've already said, one is feel it. Really, don't act on it, but really feel it. And see what happens if you really let it live in your awareness, rather than live because you're going through some conceptual argument with your father, mother, sister, brother, lover, friend, worker, whoever it might be. You know, even the person who deserves it might be, right? You know, there might be somebody who's inappropriate or illegal or racist or whatever it might be. And, and you can go through it in your head and you may need to. But also, what happens is you stay with the energy of that fury or the rage or the irkedness of your anger. And one of the one of the techniques that people have found helpful is to use the rain technique. And rain is a, is for recognize, accept, investigate, and non-identification with the experience that we're applying the technique of raining with. We want to recognize the anger. We want to accept the fact, oh, that's happening. That's true for now. That has its relative truth. I'm angry. I'm irritated. I'm pissed. And then, and then investigate it means let my, con let my awareness get closer to it. Let me feel it and every level that it's here. I'm not trying to create it. I'm trying to be open to it fully and see what it's like to know it and not just identify with it. It's part of the human experience and we all get to have, as far as I can tell, the whole human experience, whether we like it or not. And, and mindfulness is the space to be aware and know each thing and not be bound to it. And, um, you know, some people are really good with anger. Let's see, oh, here. So again, somebody was talking with the Dalai Lama, and he's not bad with anger. And the person said, People everywhere in the world are very inspired by your refusal to give in to anger or despair or revenge about the situation in your country, in Tibet. In this country, we can display more anger about a car that pulls out in front of us on the highway than you do about China. We see that for you, this has something to do with deep religious training. Can you get so far away from that kind of, from the kind of anger that we experience every day? And the Dalai Lama, who's so good at being real, he said, in my own case, if the car is delayed, I am also irritated. I thought that was great. <laughs> he said, in my own case, if the car is delayed, I am also irritated. But for more serious things, perhaps I have more patience and calm. So you can use a technique like RAIN to start to see what it's like to be aware of your anger rather than just believe it, rather than just buy into it, rather than just be at the mercy of it. <clears throat> and then there are skillful ways to work with your anger uh, at any time. And one is to make sure you're not putting any Buddhist self-judgment about being angry. Like, oh, you're not supposed to be anger, angry or it's a bad thing or there's something wrong with you. You're a bad Buddhist if you're angry. You know, the Dalai Lama is not a bad Buddhist. Then you're not a bad Buddhist. Come on. Um, and then 
the other way I found very helpful in daily life is to find a way to feel the anger in a physical way that's not harming yourself or somebody else. And this is my, was my favorite for many years when I used to swim in the bay, which I did for 12 years year round, and it was good cold water swimming. I used to do these fuck you swims. <laughs> and this is this is true. Otherwise, I would never say that. And really, if I would be mad, I would go out and I would do, <coughs> and just to really feel the anger and really feel the physicality of it, without hurting myself or anybody else. And it was great. It was great because it gave full permission for the affective, kinesthetic uh, uh, energy of the anger. And it didn't, it wasn't hurting anybody. But it was letting it live in a way that we don't, often don't have the opportunity. And so, and really, it's true in biking too. I biked for years now, and sometimes I get pissed off, and I, it gets expressed physically. And physically is a good way to do it because you can really feel the potency of what's there. And you could do it in dance, or you could do it in running, or you could do it in almost any sport. You know, don't do it in football or something because too many people get hurt with that kind of stuff. But you don't want to hurt somebody, but you want to see what it's like to let the aliveness live and be known and be aware of it. And of course, then you, you can translate what I'm saying, the principle of what I'm saying, to other things. If you're a poet, put it in your poetry. Yeah, um, somewhere I was looking around about anger and there was something from Rick Fields, who was somebody I knew from years ago, a Tibetan practitioner. He wrote a book whose name I can't remember, and good guy, and very dedicated, and he wrote a fuck you cancer book when he had cancer. And so he got to express his direct feeling without harming anyone. And so if you're a poet, or if you're a painter, or an artist, or a sculptor, or any kind of art, or a musician. I mean, I played music for years. There was a lot of angry music. And it was a great way to express anger, and to let it live in a very real, in-the-moment way that was not harming of self and others. Although some people might have said I was my music was so bad it hurt their ears, but, but they might have been right also about that part. <clears throat> so the last thing I'll say really is about emotions in general and anger is from Pema Chodron, which I think is beautiful. She said, in the Vajrayana and Tibetan Buddhism, it is said that wisdom is inherent in, in emotions. It is said that wisdom is inherent in emotions. When we struggle against our energy, we reject the source of wisdom. Anger without the fixation, without the reification, I'm adding on to what she's saying here, without the reification or concretization, anger without the fixation is none other than clear-seeing wisdom. Pride without fixation is experienced as equanimity. The energy of passion, when it's free of grasping, is wisdom that sees all the angles. So I'm going to stop here and we have some time to hear your thoughts. What do you think about what I'm saying, about anger, emotion, Buddhism? Please, if you stand up at the mic, turn the mic around towards you and face me. Thank you. And please start with your name so we all get to know each other. Yeah, my name's Michael. And, uh, I want to share a story that happened uh, about a month ago. Um, and I've wanted to share it for, for some time. Um, sometimes when I, when I, when I uh, often, when I, when I uh, 
go to a Dharma talk or a spiritual gathering. Um, I often leave with a feeling of goodness, completion, some some fullness, like like I, I get the transmission of the teaching often because I, I can't well remember the content, you know. So um, so it was one of those nights I was here. It was a Sunday evening and I left and I went to uh, Tommy's joint, where I often go. It's about a block from here, Tommy's joint. Oh yeah. It's a half brow, yeah. you know, I go yeah. grab a sandwich or something and go home. Um, so I go to this so I go to Tommy's joint and um, order my sandwich and there's like one table left in the place. And I grab the table and um, and there's a guy, a huge guy, a real tough looking guy who's been drinking with a young woman right right behind me. And his chair is sticking out, so so I can. You know, I'm a big guy, so I can barely barely squeeze in. So can you please move in a little? And he wouldn't do it. And um, and in fact, he started to, to get pissed off, and so did I. And we exchanged some words, and it started getting ugly. Um, and then you know, I just basically said, "Screw it," and ate my sandwich. And, Boogie on out. You know, he, he was sitting there with a quite an attractive young lady, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm, I'm sure he's showing off or whatever, he's drinking. So, um, so I left after I ate, and uh, about two blocks away, I'm walking to my car, and I had I got the feeling again of what it was like around the class. But also felt just like I don't like how that went down, and um, you know I thought to myself I don't want to live in a world like this. So I went back to Tommy's job, and um, the guy was still drinking, and I guess he saw me coming towards him, and you could see his muscles tighten up. Like okay, like here we go, you know. Like maybe he assumed there was going to be a fight or something. So I walk up to him and I said, you know, we can do way better than this, man. And um, and uh, he looked at me and he said, you know, my daughter here has just been giving me shit for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> 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 um, around how I interacted with you. I said, well, I really, really want to apologize to my part. In fact, I, I was thinking as as I left, that maybe there was something even physically wrong, you know, maybe you were in pain physically. All these things went through my head that I just wasn't being mindful about. So my apologies and how I interacted with you. And this was a big dude. This is a guy who, you know, I mean, you know, he, he would have been quite, quite a guy to tangle with. And uh, um, we make a long story short. Uh, uh, I asked him if I could buy him a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted to buy me a drink. I said, I don't drink, whatever. The, the barmaid walks up to me and says, I noticed the whole interaction. Can I buy you a drink? <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. Why don't you just <laughs> give one to him? Because I'm going to sit down and join him. And, um, and we became friends. We became friends, yeah. He was a... I had this whole story built out like this guy was this tough guy, Italian guy. He looked like like he like you know, Tony Soprano kind of character. Uh, tough guy with a young young hot girl. With him. I had this whole story built up, and uh, the truth of the matter is, he was in incredible physical pain, and he apologized for not telling me about it at the time. Got it. I said, you know, and. Uh, Exchange numbers. Anyway. So, so you're, 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 you're telling us a really beautiful story about how unconscious we might be about somebody else and how when we actually get real with somebody, we don't know what will happen rather than just acting out of the emotion that is happening. Yeah. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. You know, sometimes when I'm feeling 
the peace of the Dharma, or whenever I have some sort of revelation, it's like I can equally go right back to sleep. I can polarize almost the exact opposite. Well, you, you're probably the only person who does that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm only saying that because, of course, that's true. But you're also, let's stay with what you're talking about. And you're talking about you had the wherewithal to go back and say something real to him who also had a, a wrathful deity known as his daughter there who helped wake him up a little bit. Right? So, great. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Please. Hi, my name is Larry. Um, the thing you read from Hannah Children was kind of intriguing, and you, the last thing that you read oh, yeah. you stuck it on your like turn on the left side. What's that? I said you what? Stuck it underneath papers on the left side of your left turn. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean here? Yeah, it was underneath. Kind of where I snuck under there. We'll see. Maybe it's gone. It was about 18 years ago, and some of them were written in the tent, and some of them didn't quite, and I was just thinking that uh, yeah. maybe not at the time, because we were at the end of the night, but that might be a good jumping off point. I was sort of intrigued. Good jumping off point of how things get transmuted, like pride, she said. Right. Um, it was kind of interesting. I didn't exactly feel it and understand it, but I didn't, you know, it didn't seem yeah. like it wasn't possible either, so. Anyway. Okay, so you have a good question, because you're talking about a specific about something I said, and this would be good about anything that I said, because it's not all perfectly true. It's, she's pointing at a relative truth that she understands and is fine, but, it's, but you're also pointing at something really important, which, oh, I want to know this for myself. You know, I want to really see, oh yeah, what is pride transformed to? I don't know. And so, you know, that's her experience that she's describing. Like, meaning the pride is some kind of feeling of appreciation of one's own effort or well-being or energy or talent or whatever it is, some kind of pride. And as one starts to not just get blown up by the pride, but relax with the energy of what the experience of pride is, she's saying what one will discover is equanimity. That there's an equanimity in the experience not just the usual conceptuality of it and blown upness about it. And you know, and maybe she's wrong, or maybe she had that, and you'll have a different experience. But let's see what happens as you get closer, more trusting of your own direct experience and what you discover. And maybe next time I'll use the quote from you, you know? Because, no, it's, yeah, well, you know. If you send to say it first, though. You, yeah, you've got to send it to me first. Definitely, that helps. <laughs> but really, and even what she says, the energy of passion when it's free of grasping is wisdom that sees all the angles. She's pointing at different pieces of consciousness and what it means when they're self-liberating. Self-liberated and self-liberating meaning that they start to reveal a different perspective than the relative perspective that we're used to. Like passion just means one thing, but actually it starts to open up consciousness itself. Okay. Well, I think we're out of time, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you feel right now. We need to end. So let's sit for a moment before we end. Taking a moment to reflect on the time and energy and intent of our being here and the goodness or the blessing that comes with practice, sangha, 
teachings, dharma, and may the goodness, the blessings, the merit of our time together be for the benefit of each of us and all of us and the benefit of all beings. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. May we be free from the suffering of being identified with anger or the victims of anger or the perpetrators of anger. May we be free to discover the wisdom available in any human experience the doorway to awakening. May we discover the truth of our nature, of our Buddha nature, of the nature of wisdom and compassion. May all beings be free. always and it'll be fun to be together with our friends Kitty Sarah and Tanisara next week. Please be well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.